Welcome back to Work Woman. Happy Tuesday. Guys, it is the same day that I'm recording this that this is being released. It is Tuesday morning. It's pretty early and I can hardly wait to answer all of the questions that I got. So a couple weeks back, I put out a Q&A on my Insta stories and I read every single one of those. Sometimes it takes me a hot second to work out the content to get the responses, but here we are going through the responses. The questions were awesome. I was only able to pick a handful, but I'm going to try to go into as many of them as we can before our all team call starts here in 30 minutes. So let's do this thing. First question from Tabari. If you could start all over, what would you do different? So I'm going to preface this question by saying I have never been more thrilled of the person I am than the person I am today. So when I think about redoing things, yes, could I have always done more? Absolutely. Yes, I could always have just thought bigger or pushed myself or done things earlier, 100%. But I do want to make sure that, you know, people do hear that there is a point where you work hard and you're doing all the right things and you do feel good about the actions that you're putting in. And I think that that's even something that I would have wanted to hear because sometimes when you're in the middle of making a big change, you're still putting in hard work. You don't see the result of it. And you kind of start to question, will it, will this all be worth it? And I have so much that I want to do, but I can say that the changes that I've made and the person I've become make me really proud of myself and making myself proud is senior to making anybody else around me proud. You know, I want Brandon to be proud of me. I want my parents to be proud of me, but being able to go to bed at night, looking at myself in the mirror as I'm brushing my teeth. Um, it's important to me that I do the things that I say I'm going to do, that I am a person that follows through on things, that I'm a person that can create change and have an impact. And that is not the person that I've always been. And so today to be able to know that that's possible is really rewarding. Um, but that was not the question. So the question was, if you could start it over, what would you do again? Tactical steps. First thing I would do again, if I was like 18 years old, I guess I think of 18 as like starting all over. If I was 18 years old, I would make it mandatory to wake up at six o'clock at the latest every single day. This radically changed my life and I think people talk about a morning routine like, oh, do this in the morning and have a great start to your day and blah, blah, blah. But they really don't talk about the true impact that that makes in your confidence just to say that you're going to wake up and actually wake up when you say you're going to like the gritty side of it. This is not a here's an ideal morning type of podcast. Uh, my entire life changed during quarantine when I made the decision to wake up before the sun rose and go to bed at 9.30 every single night because I had never been able to do that. And I always made up excuses as to why I couldn't. And, you know, for you, this might not be as big of a thing, but for me, it always was such a big thing. And it was very difficult for me to fall asleep at night. I always had sleep and insomnia type issues. And as soon as I stopped making excuses for myself, uh, 
everything about my confidence shifted. And so if I could just, now that I know that hack, I just would have done it so much earlier because the productivity and confidence increase that has taken place in such a short amount of time could have happened so much sooner if I would have just done that and known that and really taken it seriously. Second thing that I would do is when I look back at the people and the influences that I had around me, I would have spent more time with ideas and people who were doing more and not people who had more. Growing up, when I look at the people I spent time with and the influences around me, even down to the television shows I watched or the magazines I would read, it was always about the having piece, um, having this thing. And it was more material in that way, like materialistic in that way, where rarely do we get to see the hard work and have examples of people around us who put in work to get the have, to get the things that they're able to buy from it. And so I think for a very long time, I didn't make the connection that doing hard work was a really good thing. Now, I like I take this with a grain of salt. I always think, you know, my mom's probably going to listen to this and she's going to say, you worked hard growing up. You were a straight A student and you were great at water skiing uh, and were very competitive in that. So all of those things are true, but I don't think that I had enough influences around me. To be honest, like when I when I look at other women who are doing amazing things on social, I want to be around more of that type of mentality than people, than women who just have things on social media. And so that's where the balance comes in, where I look at even Brandon's social media. Yes, you could choose to see the cars and you can choose to see the airplane and, and all of the things. And that's a part of his life. However, the freaking grind is equally a part of that. And it's not on show just because it's this fun aspirational business or account. It's like, this is a businessman who has created so much through hard work and commitment and dedication and grind and just figuring stuff out and taking risks. And so I wish I would have spent more time when I was younger, really looking at people who were doing more than I was and really ask the question, okay, if they're able to do that, why can't I do more? Why am I okay with only putting in eight hours when somebody else is putting in 12 hours? Uh, are they really more committed to, than I am? I think it would have forced those questions sooner that really have created the work ethic that I have today. Uh, and the third thing that I would have done earlier is committed to me being successful. I never had really heard of this concept of committing to my success until being in the 10X community and Grant having that saying, success is my duty. Like really thinking of that as a responsibility as a human being walking on planet earth in 2021 for all of the altruistic reasons that come with someone creating success and being committed to it it's not about the having of the things or the ego piece it's if you have this potential you it is your responsibility to fulfill that potential and not to be selfish and do the things that are more comfortable in life and I just, to me, that was so radical. And if I would have known that earlier, I think I would have taken bigger strides earlier and not felt bad about 
achieving success. You know, I grew up in a uh, family of two doctors, so my family was, you know, a lot wealthier than most of the people I spent time with uh, in high school, middle school, and elementary school growing up. And then I've been with Brandon since I was in my early 20s. And with that, uh, I've been around things and thought that maybe people looked at that a certain way and that I should put a damper on the things around me. Um, And now I've realized through learning and getting older and gaining experience that the reason I felt almost insecure about those things was because I didn't do the work to create those things. And once I realized that people who do the work to create things have been committed to their success, I can equally do that and still have the things around me because I'm working on my own game. Uh, I'm committed to my own thing. I'm committed to myself and to creation and to just freaking making this one shot at life that we have here count. And with that, with those three things, I think I would have catapulted faster and been able to do more quicker, which, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive person, so that's important to me. Okay, on to the second question, how to be a good mentor. How to be a good mentor. Uh, so first thing, first thing first, and if you don't make it past this piece, then this is the one that you should take away with. The other ones are important, but this is in order of priority. You have to practice what you preach. If you are a mentor to anybody, if anybody in your life looks up to you, if you have team members, if you have a niece or a nephew or a cousin or somebody in your life that looks to you as a mentor and is following you, and my gut tells me that everybody listening to this podcast has at least one, if not dozens of people who look at them like this. If you are in that position of privilege, it is also the biggest responsibility that you have. And with that responsibility, you actually have to do the things that you tell people you do. Meaning, if you tell people, great example, if you tell people you wake up at six and that's part of why you're successful, but then you don't actually wake up at six and you wake up at 7.45 and you hit the snooze, you will be a fraud to yourself you will lose your own confidence over time. And it is such a wrong thing to do to put a message out there as in a position of responsibility and in some cases power to mentor somebody and really not truly be living those things. It is the greatest gift that I have uh, been given that I have created to be a mentor to our team members, to be a mentor to people who listen to this podcast, to be a mentor to the businesses that we work with. And with that, for me, it is like this calling that I have to live up to these things. So in those moments when I don't want to be doing those things, I I shift my mindset to, I think about a handful of people who would be listening to me or if they were watching me, what would they expect me to do? And it causes me, it pulls me forward to do those things. So if you are not a mentor, if you're one of the people that isn't really motivated by this because it isn't real to you, put that 
person in your life, in your head, when you're about to make the wrong decision. And there's a question about motivation in just a few, uh, in just a few questions, but I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to create that sense of responsibility because when you think of letting yourself down, sometimes it's easier to do that than to let down the person that you know trusts you and your guidance and your wisdom. So first piece of that would be practice what you preach. Second piece of that is in order to be a good mentor, you have to have stats. You have to have shown that you are good at something or else no one is going to listen to you. No one is going to follow you. And so as you're thinking about, okay, how do I get stats in something? Like for instance, with me, uh, when I first started my original podcast, the age gap realness podcast, Brandon and I had already been in a age gap relationship for six years. The statistics on age gap relationships failing within the first like three years or 18 months are staggering. And so the fact that we had made it through these certain phases, I had statistics in knowing what I'm talking about through navigating ex-wives and stepchildren and the pressure of people socially and what people thought about it and blah, blah, blah. So I already had the stats in to be a good mentor with the work that we do now. uh, I've hired hundreds of people. So I can talk to you about what makes a good hire, what makes a bad hire, how to align team members, how to create key performance indicators, because I have stats in those areas. Now, if I had only hired two people and I was trying to be a mentor around how to hire people, I would need to get more stats in. I would need to get the statistics so that my own confidence would go up, that I wasn't a complete fraud in talking about these things. And so as you're thinking about how to be a good mentor, your focus on your own success to be able to demonstrate that first as the model is the only thing that you should be thinking of until you have hundreds of people that you are able to be in a mentorship position because at that point you can start increasing your stats in other areas while still focusing on the stats that you already have the stats thing is huge and to the extent that you're not thinking through how you can be the best model first and putting that energy out there before taking the step into real mentorship you're going to miss the whole po- the whole part of how to make that really successful for both you and the people that you're mentoring and you won't be able to have real life examples again going back to if i had only hired two people well i would only have 10 interviews to talk about now that I've had hundreds of times where I've interviewed somebody, I can pull on all of these different experiences to really be a subject matter expert in that area. Okay, the third question we've got going on here is how you went from insecure girlfriend at your boyfriend's work to being a badass. So this just makes me chuckle because uh, this was like so real, like this, the, the way that this is worded. I love this question, but it makes me cringe a little bit because this is really how people thought of me for so long of being Brandon's girlfriend and girlfriend kind of has this connotation of not being taken seriously. It's funny. Total side story. Uh, I think the reason that Brandon proposed to me when he did three years ago was because uh, we were at our house in Mexico and when we pulled up to the gate they didn't recognize me. And when they didn't recognize me, I had to like Natalie Workman didn't register to the guy. And so I had to say, I'm Brandon Dawson's girlfriend. And at that point we had been together for years and 
I don't think he had called me his girlfriend, but he, he was in the car with me. And so he heard me say that. He said, you're not my girlfriend. Like we pulled through the gate. He said, you're not my girlfriend. And I looked at him and I said, well, what else would I be? We weren't engaged. I said, did you want me to say I'm Brandon Dawson's life partner? Like what, what was, what was the appropriate response to uh, notate what my relationship to you was? And it was like a light bulb went off that girlfriend seems temporary and not serious. And then he proposed like a month later. Uh, and I think at that moment started looking for the ring and all of that. But so this question is, is a little funny to me because that's really how it was. I went from being Brandon's girlfriend at my boyfriend's workplace to the way that I show up in our organization today. And how did I do this? So Uh, I went from being insecure and part of why I was insecure is I was around other people who were insecure. So when you're spending time around, I like almost hate saying this, um, but when you're spending time around people who are insecure in their relationships or insecure about their value, especially when this person that they're with predominantly has made the money in their relationship and they aren't contributing to the financial success of the two of them as a couple or them as an individual, uh, you will start to be more insecure about it. So I was spending a lot of time around couples where there were people who were insecure. And I remember sitting through these dinners thinking I'm capable of so much more, but there's this easy way out that I could take where everything for the rest of my life could be taken care of. But I'm always going to feel like I'm sitting in somebody's shadow and that's not the life that I want to live. I'm, I'm capable and I have potential and there's more for me. And so I, I sat in that place for long enough where I, I loathed it so much. I, I, it became such a reality for what my future could look like. And I so did not want to be sitting at these dinners when I was 50 years old because I never took the shot when I was in my early 20s to figure out how to get better at public speaking. For, for what people I think don't understand about this dynamic is the hard part is you're around people who are already dynamic. You're not in a group of people who are also trying to figure it out and are young and trying to be successful. You're around people who have made hundreds of millions, if not in the billions for a net worth standpoint. And so when you're in that environment and you work up the guts to start to figure it out, all of a sudden you remember that most of the people that are going to be watching or following are experts and you're starting out as an amateur and you're already supposed, you already want to keep this, this position in that group, save face in that group, all of those things. And so me being around those people really showed me what I did not want to be. And it was such a reminder all the time of why I needed to continue to push through those hard moments, those times when someone would send an anonymous message saying that I would never be able to amount to anything and that everybody would look at me as his girlfriend. Uh, I can't tell you how many messages I've received like that. Uh, and, and, you know, these are, these are the things that I rarely talk about because there's no point. However, for somebody who is looking for that. If anything, I I've kept all of them and they, I use them as like the biggest 
fuck you to them now that I've overcome those things. And I needed those in my face to remind me of the fact that I was not going to allow them to be right. So I spent time around those people that I didn't want to be. And I made a decision. Like I literally decided I'm not going to be this person. So what do I need to overcome? What are my own limitations that are holding me back from this next level of growth and where I want to be? And it was in the I'm making a decision of what I don't want to be that started me down the path of what do I need to learn in finance? What do I need to learn in sales? What do I need to learn in organizational development? How can I be an asset? What books do I need to read? Who do I need to spend time with? What coaching programs do I need to go through? Because I, I there was no other alternative once I had made that decision. Love that question. Okay, on to the next question. What do you do when you feel unmotivated? Wait, what was it? Oh yeah. What do you do when you feel unmotivated and about to give up? This is from Lydia. First off, I did a full podcast on this. Uh, It was podcast 26 called How to Motivate Your Ass. (laughs) I think it was How to Motivate Your Lazy Ass, actually. So there I really go into the four types of things that motivate me. Um, But in short... And I even, you know, I thought about this today when I woke up and did not want to work out, work up, wake up and work out this morning. I focus on who's doing more. Like for me, that is such a motivator. Uh, If ever I don't want to finish answering emails or creating some content or working out or whatever it is I don't want to do, like literally anything in my life that I don't want to do but that I need to do, but I could put it off. I think about these five or six women in my head, depends on, you know, which area of uh, my life I need motivation for which woman I specifically think about and like, oh shit, if she can do that, I can fucking do that too. It's literally what I think about Uh, because I know that all of a sudden I will put in the extra two hours. I will put in the like extra rep, whatever it is, because I operate off of this fundamental belief that if somebody else is out there doing it, then I can do it too. There is no reason. I have no true excuse. I do not need the extra 20 minutes of sleep. Uh, even though sleep is very important. I'm not saying don't sleep. I, I do sleep seven and a half to eight hours every single night. But when it, when it's the difference between finishing something for 20 minutes versus going to bed and hitting my bedtime, I'm going to finish that thing uh, in order to have really pushed through that last piece of something that needs to get done. That's not happening on a recurring basis, but it's honestly just picking those people, recognizing that they're out there talking about how much they are doing. I need to be out there talking about how much I am doing and I need to actually be doing those things and follow through on that because it is the greatest form of motivation when you're able to actually see a picture of somebody else be like, oh, I can do that too. I can totally do that too. There's no reason that I can't do that. But then really go to episode 26 because I dive a lot deeper into not just using your competition as motivation. All right, on to the next question. Guys, I think this is gonna be the last one because I do have to hop off to our all team meeting. But Mr. Justin Stewart had a question about the employee maturity model. Many of you might not know what the employee maturity model is, so I'll go into a brief definition of that and then get into his question. So his question is, 
is the employee maturity model defined by position or is it personalized by role? So the employee maturity model is a document that we use when we onboard team members and as we have goal conversations, we call them PPF conversations, personal, professional, and financial goal planning conversations. And we marry these two concepts because when a team member tells us their goals, let's say they come into our organization making $60,000 a year, and through their goals, they want to be making $80,000 a year. The employee maturity model is the path for them to get more money outside of being able to sell something, because I do want to caveat anybody in our organization, if they sold X amount of products or services, they would be able to make the additional 20000 uh, if they were to sell. Rule of thumb is normally uh, they would get paid 10%. So if they were to sell uh, 200000 worth of products and services, they would receive 20000 in incentive compensation. But if that's not the path that they are choosing, and oftentimes, you know, in your business, that's a very sales oriented role and your sales team is very motivated by that. But most people are so uncomfortable with selling things that they are not going to go out and sell something. But we do leave that opportunity available for anybody who's in the services or administrative side of the business so that there is always the opportunity to make more money. But if they're not going to do it through sales and they're going to do it through adding skill sets, listen to me closely, through adding skill sets that are specific enough to add value to our organization, because that's what that truly is, right? If you're going to get a raise from sixty dollars to $80,000, it's not going to be because you spent five years working for us, but you're still contributing the same in 2026 as you were in 2021. It's going to be because you now are more valuable for us to pay you more. So you have added a certain level of skill set. Now, depending on where the company is targeting growth areas and what position you're already in, uh, let's take a marketing position, for example. If you're in a marketing role right now where you are a designer, and you're making $60,000 just to stay consistent with this uh, with this example. In order, if you're going to tell me that you want to make $80,000, first of all, I think that's fantastic. And I want you to make $80,000. So you and I together, if I was your manager, would have to figure out, okay, what are the things that you could add to your ability to contribute to our organization that would add more value to this position? So in a designer's role... Uh, through the PPF conversation and the employee maturity model, we would consider somebody becoming a senior designer if they were able to not just design based off of need, meaning when we have a request to put a website together or a landing page or a uh, flyer. So they're not just putting it together, but they're able to put something together that converts at a higher rate than what their old designs would have converted at. So the organization has to know, okay, how are we tracking things to begin with? But then what type of thing would the designer do in order to gain that skill set? Well, they could go to a 
copy class, even if they're not responsible for writing copy, knowing and having the knowledge of what type of copy makes good copy and, and um, more sales-oriented copy that converts would be a huge benefit to their ability to design. Also going to some sort of course or seminar or working through something, uh, reading a book that teaches somebody how to use design in order to sell and convert at a higher percentage than somebody who's a more junior designer. Both of those things would be something that would add significant value to the organization. And if you could show as a designer over a period of time that your designs were converting more because it told a story and you knew that you needed to include testimonials in a certain way and make headings a certain way and design it, even having less proofs for team members to go through. So if I all of a sudden don't have to look at your work as much to approve it because you are just knocking it out of the park every time, there is value in you becoming more efficient at your job and me having to have less oversight over you. So those are the types of things that we would work through in the different position from a designer to a senior designer, which would be clarified through the employee maturity model. So back to Justin's question, is it defined by position or is it personalized by role? It's both, but the main employee maturity model that the entire organization falls into is defined by position slash role. And then, so it goes from associate to senior associate, manager to senior manager, director to senior director, vice president to senior vice president to executive vice president to C-suite. And it has the pay bands that correspond to these things. So for going through, for the purposes of going through this with the whole organization and having one centralized place in order for somebody to understand the difference between their role today and what would make them senior, uh, it is defined by position and role. But as somebody is developing their goals and after you've had the PPF conversation, then the next step would be taken in what's called a development plan uh, in order to personalize, okay, what specifically do you as the designer need to take in the form of a course or a book or a training and commit to X result increasing in order to justify a designer role to a senior role? So again, to summarize, the framework is defined by position and role, but then as you work with the individual person on the team, that's when you would start to customize it and specifically work through the details of what that person needs, because that's going to be different for a finance manager. But there is fundamentally a way to describe the difference between a finance manager and a senior finance manager and the type of competencies they would have, um, their ability to communicate, their ability to um, listen, their ability to lead a conversation and guide a client, like all of those competencies don't change by person to person because I don't care if you're a designer, if you're a controller, if you're a marketing manager or a finance manager or an operations manager, there are still core competencies from a salary level that you would need to increase in order to be more valuable to the organization. And so often that has to do with communication skills and that's a big core focus 
across any team member that joins us because your ability to communicate and sell something in the form of your ideas or a physical product and service is a skill set no matter where you're at that you will need in order to get to the next level. And so, Justin, I hope that answered your question. If it didn't answer your question, which there is so much more that goes into this employee maturity model because we've only touched on one of the three elements, my People Essentials course is the place where we build this with you with the corresponding pay bands. We build the competencies. You get the actual example of ours and what competencies we are looking for. We go so deep into the employee maturity model at the People Essentials to get more information and register for that. We have one coming up in Dallas at the end of March. Go to cardinventures.com forward slash people and it'll give you all the information. It is the best. Brandon and I were just talking about this actually uh, last night. The People Essentials course is like a crash course in how to align, develop, inspire, retain your team, and also how to get the right people in to begin with and how you fire them once you recognize that they weren't the right fit. Uh, It is jammed, packed. Our team keeps saying we should remove some of the content from it because it's just so content heavy. But I really believe that there is a system to creating a remarkable culture that is operationally and financially aligned for the business. And that touch point mapping takes place at our People Essentials workshop. So if you are interested and want to come to that, either DM me or to get more information, go to cardinventures.com forward slash people. All right, guys, it is officially two minutes before our team meeting. I have to pop off. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'm going to put out a little story here shortly about getting more questions because I would love to answer more of your questions that you have. I'm also thinking of getting Brandon in on this next podcast um, and doing a little bit of a series on how to navigate working with your significant other in business. We've done a lot in the Age Gap podcast around just our relationship and the personal side of our relationship and how to make that better, et cetera. But as I was talking about earlier with stats, you know, Brandon and I have worked together in a uh, capacity since 2013. And so we definitely have stats in how to do it successfully because we're still working together, but also what not to do, the different dynamics that come up with working with your significant other. So we're thinking maybe once a month doing that, but not having it every week. But I do think that there is a huge portion of this audience that does work with their spouse. And listen, I don't pretend like it's easy. Uh, If you were with our team or in our meetings, you would know that there is challenges that come with it. However, the good certainly outweighs the bad. And we've learned so much that we would just honestly love to share with you guys. So with that, have a fan freaking tastic day. Can hardly wait to catch up with you next week.